The following podcast is a part of the Spin Studio Network. Hello and welcome to Empowered. Today I have a lovely guest joining me in the studio, Courtney Mangan. Okay, so let me take a deep breath before I get into this because Courtney is a lot of things. She does a lot, you guys. She's an ultimate girl boss. Courtney is the owner of the Spin Studio Network and Spin & Co. She is the creative director of James Cosmetics and she has her very own stationery collection and her own podcast, She Was The Fire which I was just a guest on and we had lots of fun on. So we can do a little podcast swap and you can listen to my interview over there. So Courtney is the executive producer of the Spin Studio Network, which includes Empowered, this very podcast you're listening to right now, as well as all of the above. Courtney is fiercely fighting her fourth diagnosis of melanoma. Courtney dedicates her free time to educating her online community about all things sun safe and sun protection, as well as sharing deeply raw moments to inform her online community of the difficult impacts and hardships that present when battling cancer. She has inspired thousands of people to care for their skin and be proactive about sun protection, regular skin checkups, and of course, to live life to the fullest. Here's my conversation with Courtney. Welcome, Courtney, to Hello, Empowered. <laughs> I'm so excited to be here. You're on this seat now. Oh, no. Normally you're just Behind telling, the scenes. Yeah, you're telling me to do better. And, <laughs> oh, is that what I do? Is <laughs> yeah. Do better, Revy. <laughs> no, but you bring out the best in me is what I was trying to say. And now you're a guest. So I'm very excited to be on. Thank I'm you. I'm so grateful that you are coming on to this podcast because I feel like you have so much to share with the world and so much to offer, so much wisdom. So let's start with a little bit about yourself. Can you share where you're from? How old you are? All right. So I'm 35 years old, born and bred on the Gold Coast. Mm-hmm. I think in the intro, you've already kind of gone into like the jobs and things that I do. Um, but yeah, I guess I'm just a single gal getting my work done. I'm like mm-hmm. very career focused and also living with cancer. Yeah. That's kind of my elevator pitch about myself, <laughs> I guess. Well, I'm so grateful for everything that you do share because you've been so educational for me and we're going to get into that in a moment. But before we get started on that, how did we meet? Can you share that? We met because a few, I guess, like, was it the start of the year, I think? Yeah, February. Um, I own the Spin Studio Network, obviously, which is what this podcast is on. And my brother, Sam, and I own it together. And we sat down to talk about who is the next podcast that we wanted to do. And we were just scouring all the different people on the Gold Coast that might have a good story. And I had already been following your content. And I saw that you were the kind of person that really opens up about your story and shares a lot with the people on your Instagram, which is one of the key things, because if somebody's going to get on a podcast and talk for like 45 minutes, they have to be willing to share so openly about themselves. Mm -hmm. And so we saw that that was something that you were already doing um, on like a shorter scale on Instagram and that you might have more to share if you were given more long form. And so we reached out to you and then we had a meeting and the rest is history. Yeah. It was, I mean, I've, I've loved podcasting. It's been such a great platform because you can really, I crave that 
Yeah. That connection and the deep conversations that you can have on podcasts as opposed to Instagram. I think because both of you as well, we share like a lot of stuff on our Instagram and you try and like cram it into these really snappy ways of saying things that you can't like really fully dive into a topic and really have it really thought through. So for me as well, it was when I was trying to be really open, I was like, I need somewhere else that I can. I was like, is someone going to watch a 10, 20 minute IGTV? Probably not. So I need something more and that's what the podcast has been for me and also for you it's a great place to have these discussions and so when did you start the network we started it in around I think it was like August 2019 so Mm -hmm. we're still fairly new just about two years um and yeah it's been really exciting and so your job is to obviously oversee all of the talent that come in and uh, I guess sit in on the episodes put down show notes really help make sure that the people the talents are reading the room yeah uh, of the of the current affairs of the world and um yeah you keep us keep us in line <laughs> well every podcast Not that you have is, to keep me in line I feel no, like I'm quite tame you are <laughs> with every podcast it's a little bit different the things that we do so for some people will like book the guests write the questions mm. whereas you do most of your own like research and stuff yourself and really you really design your own episodes whereas some of them ask for more support from us on that end we suggest topics and things like that um, but yeah it's just my job to sit in and just make sure that we're getting the best out of the yeah. process and sometimes you know the host might be like, oh, how do I ask these questions? Or did that go, did that flow well? And then I'm just Mm. there as like a sounding board. Yeah. And then, so when did you and Sam start Spinning Co? We started it just over eight years ago, I believe. So it was basically um, my brother Sam is five years younger than me and he's like a real entrepreneur. He's always been like that. Mm -hmm. I've more been the person that like loves running a team and in management. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had just finished university because I had deferred, deferred, deferred. So we ended up finishing university at around a similar time. He had a law degree. I had a communications degree. And we started helping with this mayoral campaign. I was doing PR for that, just like helping write press releases and chatting to the the press and stuff. And Sam was like, oh, I think there's something to this. And we got a lot of connections through that Merrill race. And we were like, why don't we just start our own PR agency? And it's kind of just gone on from there. So cool. Yeah. It's obviously a lot more than just PR now. It's like marketing, digital, yeah. like branding, a whole bunch of stuff. But yeah, that's kind of how it started eight well, years ago. We haven't even talked about your other, bi- well, you've got, you've got <laughs> so many businesses, girlfriend. Then you've got James I have no Cosmetics. kids. I have to keep busy. <laughs> <laughs> you've got James Cosmetics, which are the creative directive Oh, what what does that entail? So Sam, my brother, and Emily Sky mm-hmm. own that business together. Mm-hmm. So it's like a skincare brand. Yeah. And because we have like already Spinning Co and Spins, you know, everything sort of under the one roof. Sure. Our whole business mentality is like everyone get in and help where you can and just – so I don't even see the different businesses really. It's just I just do what is needed every day. Yeah. But more my role with all of the businesses is kind of like overseeing everyone, making sure that deadlines are met, people know what they're doing, mm-hmm. supporting everybody in the day-to-day. Um, and with James Cosmetics more specifically, it's overseeing like the campaigns, the launches, the creative side of social media, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so I guess it's been like a natural progression that you release a stationary business because you love organisation. Like You yeah. have to be so organised to do what you're doing every day. Yeah, productivity is really important for me. And it's something I'll probably touch on later on in this episode, though, is that delegation is something that I've started to really learn through this cancer process. Mm. Um, and there was a point just before the cancer process where I was doing all of the things and it was just like a lot. Um, and I was really having to hone my organisation productivity skills. And so I was getting asked a lot of questions about that from my followers. Like, how do you do all these things. Yeah. And so I released just like a, 
a free template that people could download mm-hmm. with like a little like diary kind of template. Sure. And then I had lots of people saying like, can we get like this in like some sort of a physical thing that we're not printing every day? Yeah. So that's just how the notepad started in the stationery line. organic. Yeah. Just, yeah. That's awesome. Um, I just got my first um, pieces recently and love them. So I decided <laughs> to nice dive feedback. into that. And then, yeah, you've got your own podcast as well. So I get one thing I actually don't know is with your podcast and your, I guess, personal brand on Instagram, did that start when you found out that you had cancer? And then was it kind of like that was the catalyst to kind of put the information out there and really kind of publicize your life? So for me, my second diagnosis was 2019. um, And that's when I started, I think the first time I spoke to camera on Insta stories. However, before that, when I had my first diagnosis in 2017, that kind of gave me a bit of a kick up the butt. Like I need to like live my life and do what I want to do. And at that Mm. point I was really, I feel like it's a different lifetime ago. I was a different person, but I was really obsessed with YouTube and in the space that we work in and beauty products, my brother was like, you've been talking forever about that. You'd want to do your own YouTube channel doing makeup. So he's like, just do it. And after getting that first cancer diagnosis, I was like, why am I scared about what people would think about me from high school? It's always the people, why is it always the pill from high school that we're thinking about judging us. Nobody from high school gives a shit what I'm doing. (laughs) Um, And so I was like, I'm going to start my own YouTube. So I started doing these beauty... Yeah. Are they still there? Yeah, they're still there. Oh, check them out. <laughs> um, and so I started doing that and it just was like, became like more of a chore for me to end up doing it. I didn't like, I did it for like a while and then I just kind of like waned off it. And then after getting my, um, my diagnosis at the end of 2019, that was when I was like, oh, maybe I want to show up more as myself, not just as like this perfect with makeup on and teaching. Yeah. It, was, it wasn't really, I guess, showing anything about me, just getting on camera and talking about makeup really. Mm. Um, and I was like, I want to kind of talk to people about this journey, about what mm. I'm going through. And I had become kind of angry when I got my second diagnosis, which I can get into. But uh, my reaction to that was I need to tell pe- more people about melanoma. Mm-hmm. And so I just decided to start sharing that. And then it was probably like, I think six months after that, that I then started the podcast as like another extension of that. Yeah. I love the natural progression of how you've evolved. It's been fueled by obviously such a purposeful place. And I think that's why we wanted to have you on the podcast today, because I feel like this conversation is not really explored too much. And I think that even for myself personally, Courts, I've never really had anyone that's, you know, my experiences with people that have cancer that I love are people that were in their older years and, you know, 70, 80, 90 years old. And it was, of course, so sad to lose them. But I guess there's this, there's an expectation of, or like a lessening then because they've experienced life. And you are 35 running multiple businesses. And I can see so much of myself in you. We're, you know, five years apart. We've got really similar interests. We've really driven the same, but you have got this enormous consuming situation unfolding every single day for you. And I think when I met you, I didn't really know how to how to talk to you about it. And I really, I want to say sorry. I, I really want to say that and acknowledge that because, you know, it's our responsibility to, to be informed on how to hold space for people that you care about. And I just have not been prepared to to speak to you and to know what to say. Yeah. So I would love, and I know that you do this through your platform, so I'm super grateful that you do that because 
I've learned so much. I've I've won SPF 50 for the first time in my life. <laughs> I love that. Um, I, you know, have been so much more conscious and proactive and I love my skin now. I'm like so grateful for it. And that's another thing that you preach is like gratitude. So when we were setting up this conversation, you said, don't like, don't, don't be hold scared. Back. Ask me the questions. Ask yeah. me all the questions. And so I was like, gulp. <laughs> um, so let's take a deep dive into your journey and um, how you found out. Uh, this was six years ago, was it? That yeah, so 2017. Out? So, mm. um, and the reason I did that was because I know that when, when you talk to a lot of people on podcasts, usually they're at the other end of their story or their trauma. And when someone's in it, a lot of people do get uncomfortable to ask the tough questions, mm -hmm. but I come on these platforms to answer those questions because that's what's going to create the awareness. And yeah. so I don't, I didn't want you to feel like insecure about asking no, these really questions because you. I, yeah. I want to tell the story Yeah, and I want people to know what it's like to live with cancer and have melanoma so that they don't make this mistake yeah. and they don't, you know, they protect their skin. So yeah. I appreciate you asking the tough you're questions like, today. You're gonna, <laughs> you're, I'm dubbing you with the uncomfortable questions. <laughs> um, all right. So my journey, let's try and like fit it in as quick as I can for you. Yeah, but in 20, so the first time I heard melanoma was my dad when I was younger. So my okay. dad had had several melanomas, just the sort of you get them cut out scenario. He sure. didn't have anything sort of advanced beyond that, but he has scars like all over his back. He's had plenty of them. Um, and the that was kind of the first time I'd had an experience with that. I was quite young. Then in my early 20s, my uncle passed away from melanoma. So that was my first like real like, oh, this is a serious thing. Um, and unfortunately, that event didn't give me the kick up the butt that I needed, that it really should have, that I should have then protected my skin more than I was. But I think that for so many young people, you just don't think it's ever going to happen to you. Um, and I was always pretty good. Like I have very fair skin. So I was always wearing sunscreen when I was going to the beach or the pool or something because I would burn. So of course I would do <laughs> yeah, that. But yeah. it was all that sort of like other times that you're driving in the car and you don't really think about sun damage, that it's still is having an impact. Mm -hmm. um, and I just never really went and got a skin check, which was silly. Anyway, so I'd had a mole on my right shoulder on the back sort of my shoulder blade that had been kind of changing. I hadn't noticed that because it's on my back. Yeah. And so I'd had a few people in my life saying, that looks like it's changing. You should get that looked at. And I kind of just was like, oh, yeah, whatever, it's great. fine. Yeah. But I was at the time just like, oh, I was kind of something that I always like scratch at. And okay. so I'd be like, oh, no, it looks like that because I'm scratching it all the time and I'm itching it. And like just it was like a, you know how you just have something that you kind of pick out sometimes? It's yeah. something that when it's a and scab. how old are you? 28, 29 okay, at yep. this point. Yep. And so I, it's like, you know, when you have like a pimple, you're always trying to squeeze it mm -hmm. or you got a mm -hmm. scab, you're, you're picking at it. It's like that kind of thing. And I was always doing that to it. And I was like, no, it just look, it's bleeding because I'm picking at this scab. Mm -hmm. It's not because there's anything wrong with it. And I was convincing myself of that. And then I had two GPs look at it and they were like, that looks fine to me. Oh. Anyway, so then I was at my friend's house one night and I heard dad is a GP and I left and she called and said, hey, my dad wants you to go to like, get a skin Another guy opinion. to look at it. Yeah. I was like, all right, fine. So I went into my dad's skin specialist. He, I was like, I'm here for a skin check, looked over and he goes, have you got anything you're concerned about? I said, oh, this mole. And he goes, that oh, looks fine to me, but we'll, we'll take, we'll shave it and just send it away for a biopsy. Wow. And I was like, all right. So I wasn't super stressed about it because he had yeah. said to me like. And that's the third time yeah. that someone's been like, mm, it doesn't look. Yeah, exactly. So I was like, all right. And he said to me, that was on a Wednesday afternoon. And he said to me, 
call us back on Monday and reception can give you the results. So he was anticipating that Such it was going to be nothing. Yeah. yeah. So then cut to Thursday afternoon, he's calling me. I answer the phone, it's him. So I know. Why is the doctor wow. himself calling me? I'm at work. My brother works with me. My dad works with me. So I'm like surrounded by my family. <laughs> um, I take the call and I was like, oh my God, what? And he goes, let's come back. It's melanoma. So we need to like, you know, get this taken care of. I'm going to refer you to the clinic in Brisbane, which is one of the best in the world. Um, and he goes, "Is uh, are you okay if I call your dad to talk to him about this? Because it was my dad's specialist. And I was like, yeah, my dad's here. Here's the phone. And I just handed it to my dad. And at that point, the doctor hadn't said to me any level that it was at. So the way that they at that point looked at melanoma was from level one to level five on the Clark scale. And it, he then like had the conversation, my dad got off the phone and I was like a bit shell shocked. Yeah. And Sam was like, what's happening here? And I was like, I don't know, I, I forgot melanoma. And it was like, you just don't, you think it's like a mole, they're going to cut it out. So I was a bit like, I don't know. And then dad was like, yeah, it's a level four. And the doctor hadn't said that to me. And dad just said it so blase because he assumed the doctor had said it to yeah. me. And I was like, and you, as someone who doesn't know anything about cancer, I'm hearing stage four. Right, right, right. Yeah. You know, he's saying, yep. and I was like, what is level for? Did he say stage for? What is level oh. for? You know, and like the doctor's off the phone now. So it's mm. like, what the hell? So then I'm getting quite upset. Lang, who's one of our staff, you know, Lang, she's there like, what's happening here? Why is Connie crying? And oh then Sam's going into action stations trying to call other doctors. It was like a lot. And so that was, I guess, the first kind of diagnosis. Anyway, got to Brisbane, get it chopped out. They take a lymph node, which is like underneath my armpit, which is where the mole, like the cancer can drain to, which came back as clear. So they were all very happy with that. And I just basically continued to get three, every three months, got skin checks. Then towards the end of, in November, 2019, I had up to that point lost about 45 kilos and I felt a lump in my arm, like deep in my um, arm. Like what's this under here? The tricep? Yeah. Yeah. I'll ask you the, the muscles. I don't know any of them. And like to the point where I had to grab my doctor's finger to find it and say it's right here because he couldn't wow. feel it. Like it was so deep. So if I hadn't lost that weight, there is no chance I would have found it. So the alarm bells go off. My doctor's like, yep. So at first when I felt it, I was like, maybe a boil is like, is that a pimple yeah, or well, something's coming up? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But after a few days, nothing was on the outside of my skin. It was just on the inside. And I was like, if this is a boil, it That's would be great. presenting. So proactive. Yeah. And so I was like, I'm getting a skin check this week. Anyway, I'll flag it with my doctor. Sure. And there he's like, I'm going to send you away for an ultrasound. It's probably nothing, but we need to be safe because of your history. Go away for the ultrasound, get all the tests, la, la, la. He's like, okay, we're not sure, but I need to send you to a specialist now. So then I go to like a cancer surgeon and my doctor had really downplayed it. And he was like, I'm sure it's nothing, but just go to him. He's a professional. Talk to him. So I went to this appointment alone because I was not expecting it to be as serious as it was. And he sat me down and was like, I'm going to test send you for a PET scan. We're going to hope it doesn't light up like a Christmas tree. It's literally what he said to me. But you need to prepare yourself for the fact this is very bad. And I was like, oh, my God. I left there, went to a work event. Uh, I wish my family's out because my family will work for me. And I'm walking around this Pacific Fair Christmas soiree event, just like, oh my God, what is going on here? Trying to pretend that I'm fine so that my family isn't freaking out because I'll get the results in a few days. I don't want to stress anybody out, trying to pretend to my mother that I'm completely fine, like horrible. 
Anyway, I said to Sam, I, I'm worried to go to this appointment by myself. I'm a single woman, so I need to have someone. I can't take my husband. <laughs> so I was like, Sam, my brother, come with me. And we walked into the doctor's appointment after I'd had all the tests. And before I even sat down, he said, it's stage four cancer. Oh, my gosh. And it, it then did get, just to clarify, it got downgraded to stage three cancer a few months later. But at that point, that's what I was hearing, yeah. stage four cancer. He then got a Sharpie, circled it and said, I'll see you for surgery in two days. Don't let this wash off. This is where I need to cut. And I was like, all right. Um, he then picked up a laminated form that said, if I cut this out tomorrow and then we don't do anything else, you have an 18% chance of survival. I was like, what? In the next five years. And um, I said, okay, so like what else? (laughs) If we don't just leave it, what else can we do? And he said, there's this new technology now called immunotherapy. Chemotherapy does not work on melanoma, which I knew because my uncle went through chemo and he died. So I knew that that didn't work. Um, And he said, so now we've got this thing called immunotherapy, which is specifically for certain cancers, melanoma being one of them. And that increases your chances by 50%. So still 50-50 life or death is not a stat that you really want to hear. So I was like, oh my God. And I'm a very proactive person. I'm like, so then what? Now what? What's this step? What's this? Let's tackle it. Sam's very much like that too. It's like we're going into problem solver mode. And he just said, I need you just to take the weekend. You're going to go through a grieving process. You just need to process that before we do the next steps. And it was just like, I was mad. Yeah. I was like, no, no, tell me all the steps now. And I was also mad that no point during this journey had anyone told me that melanoma could be a lump. I was looking at skin checks. None of my skin checks were looking for lumps. Nobody was checking my body. They were just looking at my moles. And so that's when I became angry. And I was like, why wasn't I told how long has this thing been there for? Why am I going every three months to something? And I had to find it myself. That's why I said it was so proactive because I would have like not assumed that you would have known I should raise this because I just think it's like a lump. Yeah. It's I, not in your boob. I you wasn't. Know. It was just like, I was just like, that's yeah. weird. I'll just say it because I have a skin check coming up yeah. anyway. If I hadn't have I had know. a skin check, I may have left it for longer. Wow. So that I became mad then. And I kind of, we went home and, you know, everyone's very upset. My parents were there with me and we had dinner together. And then it was, I'm the kind of person that's like, I want everyone to know this now. I need this bandaid off now. I don't mm-hmm. want to keep reliving this moment. So I was on the phone telling friends, telling family, which is very hard, but it, it's important to me to get it done straight away. Mm-hmm. And it was in that moment because I was so angry that I was like, I don't want anybody else to go through this fuck up that I have gone through. Sorry, my just swearing podcast. Yes. You do, sorry. I, I should know that as a producer. <laughs> um, I don't want anybody else to make have this mistake made, so I need to tell everybody about this. Mm. And in that moment, I didn't care, like, what people from high school thought about me, that I didn't have mm. makeup on, that I was showing emotions online. I didn't care because I was so mad. Mm. And so then I did, like, an IGTV the next morning telling my whole story. This is the first time I've like basically ever spoken on Instagram and I had to save it. I couldn't launch it because my cousin was in LA and I didn't want to call her on her last week of her amazing holiday and say, surprise. So I waited till she got home and I said, I need you to call me as soon as she got home. I told her and then I uploaded it straight away. And so it was that then sort of started the ball rolling. And, um, I was then just openly talking about it and people were like really resonating with the content that I was putting out, like being so honest and raw. Um, And I guess it was that very first moment that I saw it was 
how raw I was that made the impact. So yeah. That's why I've continued to do that. Yeah. Um, and so that was in December 2019. January 2019, I'm ready to go for immunotherapy. I do this whole like mindset ritual the night before to get myself in this frame of mind to go get this quite toxic treatment that could have bad side effects and we don't know what's going to happen. Is it going to cure me? We're not sure. I rock up to the doctor's office, the clinic where they do it. And I'm like, ready to go. Let's do it. And he was like, I've changed my mind. I'm actually going to get you to go freeze your eggs first. And I was like, what do you mean? Why could he not have called you and Literally. said that? And I was like, what do you mean? And he goes, this could impact your fertility. So I need you to go freeze your eggs. So this is a conversation that I, like, I didn't even have, you're telling me I have to pause this potentially life-saving treatment for something that I haven't even told you that I want. I didn't tell this doctor I wanted children. We've had no conversation about this. And in that moment, again, anger came up because Mm. I was like, this is society telling me as a woman, I'm supposed to have children and I've never even told you that and that's what I want. Life. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. how I felt. And I was so mad. Obviously to the doctor, I was like, oh, okay. I'll see. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I totally understand that. And um, I remember leaving and like going to lunch with my mum and she's like, I was like, I'm so angry. How dare he fucking tell me what choices I should make for my life based on what he thinks I should do. Mm. I was angry. And then later that night, I was like, look, I need to make the smart choice here. Yes, I don't know if I want children, but if this is just going to postpone things for a few weeks, maybe the smart choice is not to make it out of anger right this moment and fear. Freeze my eggs, get that done, and then start the treatment. The doctors Mm -hmm. are telling me that it's safe enough to do it, Mm -hmm. so just make the smart choice. So that's what I did. Went through fertility treatment, which was a nightmare because turns out I'm not super fertile, which was like another blow. It's like, God, buddy, why do you hate me so much? Yeah. And I'm like 33 years old and you're telling me I've got nothing going on? What are you talking about? So at one point they thought I wasn't even going to be able to go through with it because they didn't think they would get any eggs. And I was like, no, no, we've started this process now. Like we're doing it. And I was like, just keep pumping. So I went like on an extra 10 days of the treatment that like at the highest dosage you could get. So they were pumping me full to try and just get these eggs, Um, had the um, removal, ended up with six eggs, which is obviously, you know, they they like to get 15 to 20 and they like to do two rounds of it. Um, So six is not ideal, but six is better than zero. So we did that there on ice, start the treatment. So then I went through a whole year of treatment. Surprise, I'm allergic to cancer treatment. So it was a whole drama just for me to get the treatment because, again, my body hates me. Um, And went through that. I remember having like a party at the end of it. I got a tattoo to celebrate that I was rid of this time in my life. Cut to three months later, the cancer's back again. This time it's in my organs. This time it's stage four cancer. It's in my lymph nodes. And it's a lot more serious this time. Um, And it's only three months after I finished the treatment, which therefore means that that whole year didn't work. I was not responding to the treatment and we didn't know. Right. So can you clarify something? So the treatment that you were allergic to, did you just keep getting that or did you have it and then have to stop and change to something else? No, I kept getting it. I'm still getting it. I keep getting it. you're allergic to it. Yeah, they give me, they pretty much knock me out with antihistamines. What? So a normal person to get the treatment I was on, it takes about... 30 minutes to receive, right? They go in, they get the treatment, they walk out, get on with their day. 
I'm in hospital for about five to six hours mm-hmm. where I they give me a slow release of it. I they see. dose me up on drugs. I fall asleep in a hospital bed. I literally get admitted to hospital to have this yeah. whole thing every two weeks I was doing that. Wow. So it was a lot on my body. For a year? Yeah, for a year. Oh, my gosh. Um, and normal people get it once a month as well. <laughs> so it's like, but I only get small doses oh, of it because right. I'm allergic to it. You couldn't have it like just... Like yeah, exactly. Blown at you. Yeah. So um, mm. aside from that, it's all the other things that come along with it. Like I can't go on holidays anywhere. Obviously COVID happened, but just before that, it's like I can't be gone for mo- more than two weeks to places. I have to be near the doctors just in case. You're getting blood tests in between that, all the other tests that you have to get. You know, there's side effects involved. With this, like all the other shit that goes along with it. Mm. Um, so then, yeah, it was in May this year. I was told I have stage four cancer. It's in my, it's kind of like my bowel area um and we had to have surgery straight away so they went in they cut it out they didn't know for sure that it was cancer at the time they were like there's a mass we need to go in and check what it is the only test they can do is a laparoscopy which is also surgery as well as a test I guess um and he said like you know it's going to be one of two things here like either I'm going to go in and it's just like adhesions from other surgeries that you've had it's like you know scar tissue Um, and it could just be that and I'll just clean it up and get out of there or I'm going to go in sorry it's one of three things and there could be black spots everywhere and I'm going to have to get out straight away we're going to have to reassess because that means it's everywhere that's very bad he said or I'm going to go in there's going to be a mass I'm going to cut it out and you're going to have a much larger scar because I have to have something to pull it out right so I was like all right so the minute I woke up from the surgery I lifted up my top to look for the scars so that I because I was like I have an indicator about what's going on here right and the nurse was like what are you doing I was like I need to see the scars and it was a big scar down my body so straight away I was like He's cut out a mass that's, yeah, and it's not scar tissue. It's something cancerous. So I knew straight away you don't see the doctor then until the next day and he Mm -hmm. came in. And the hardest thing is is that you're in hospital and it's like 6 a.m. No one's there with me because Mm -hmm. they don't know when the doctor's going to come. So he comes in and he's like, yep, stage 4 cancer. In your bowels yeah, now. it's in your yeah, and I took out fifteen lymph nodes. It's spreading. It's not good. I'm just sitting there by myself. Wow. Um. So then, I say to the nurses, like, can I have someone come? And I don't want to say to my mum, like, <laughs> over the phone. So I like call her and I'm like, hey. The nurses have said, like, you can come in early if you want. I need oh. help having a shower. Would you mind coming in? And I'm like, where's dad? She's like, he's on the golf course. Of course he is. And so then I have to call dad and I can't lie to him. I just have to say, get off the golf course. Mum's going to need support. Come to the hospital. It's not good. And so then like, he's like, oh shit. Then he's having, it's, you know, it's a horrible situation the way that like, you know, I know that that's how doctors have to do these things, but it's not ideal to have no support person and hear the worst news of your life and then have to like manage other people's emotions yeah you're sacrificing your immediate emotions which is would have been so overwhelming yeah and then having to prioritize you know of course your mum yeah exactly so in the moment that he told me when he walked out of the room it was the changeover from the nurses so I had six nurses walk into the room all at once they're like what's your name date of birth what are your allergies like all doing the changeover and I like I sat up because I was like I need to go to the bathroom they're pumping me full of fluids my blood was like give me I sat up and I just started bawling and the nurse comes over and she goes, honey, oh, my God, how much, what, what level is your pain on? One to ten, one to ten. And I was like, emotionally ten. <laughs> and I was like, no, they just told me it's my cancer. And then the nurse started crying. Oh, my God. And I was like, like, okay, I need you to be better equipped for this. <laughs> oh, my God. I was like, I just need to go to the toilet. Anyway, so that, that was oh. like, it was such a commotion. I was like, oh, my God. 
anyway, so I had this surgery. I then speak to my oncologist and he tells me, we're not going to put you on another treatment because you had a bad reaction and it didn't work last time. And the next treatment that you can go on is very toxic. And we don't know that that's going to be right to put you on there given you have active cancer. So what that means is basically if you look at a scan, they Mm. can't see cancer because they cut it out. Right. And so you can't know if the treatment's working because there's nothing to see it reducing. Right. So if a treatment's working, you can see your cancer mass get smaller and smaller. Right. But if there's no mass to look at, you can't tell if it's working, which is what I had done for a whole year, which is why we didn't know it was working then. So he said, we just have to monitor it. I didn't like that Mm because I was like, that's not proactive. What do you mean? We just sit here and we wait. What if it's in my brain next week? So I then, Sam, my brother is like, you know, very good at like getting people to do what he needs. So I'm, I was, then I had an appointment with like the top oncologist in the world who is just in Sydney conveniently. Yeah. Um, you know, the best people in the world because melanoma is so prevalent in Australia. Right, right. And she was like, I agree. Okay. She said it would be inhumane for me to put you on how toxic this treatment is when we can't compare if it's working. Okay. And I felt fine then because yeah. I was like, okay, the best lady in the world is telling me that this is what I need to do. Love yeah. that it's a woman. The way that she was communicating with me was yeah. so different from all the male doctors that I had had. Like she, at first she was like, tell me how you're feeling emotionally. And oh, I was wow. like, wow, you're so supportive. I love this. <laughs> we could go into that. Yeah, part. exactly. <laughs> Another episode. Um, and so I was like, I feel comfortable with that. That's good. And it was just like, we're just going to monitor it. At that point, my cancer had come back like once every 18 months. I have my next PET scan, which was like, what, a month ago maybe now? And the cancer's back again. So in my head, okay, it's in my thigh this time. It's just doing a world tour of my body. We'll just cut it out because that's what they said I'm going to do. We're just going to cut it out and keep monitoring it. It's not the case. They're like, the fact that it has come back so fast means it's in other places we just can't see yet. So if we cut this out today, you'll be back here tomorrow with another one. They're like, they think it's in lots of places. They just can't pick up on the test yet because it only picks up at a certain size but it's in my blood in other places, they think. So she said, you have to go on the inhumane treatment. That so, I said that you didn't have to go on. Yeah. So I was like, oh, great. So yeah, I started that last week. Last Friday was the, the first round of that. You only get four of them um, and once every three weeks. But most people can only tolerate two because it's so toxic and you just like your body just starts to react very badly, end up in hospital, all kinds of different things. Um, so we're just seeing how many my body can handle. Uh, so far, one down. Yeah. <laughs> Got it and done. I mean, you. I was watching your stories. You're in quite a bit of pain the day after and a few yeah. know, for days after. Yeah, joint pain has been the main side effect and fatigue so far, which is super minor compared to what it could be. Yeah. So. And how... In through this, I would love to know how you feel physically. You know, if you if you understand that you have a an illness that's killing you and killing your insides, but yeah. do you feel apart from the therapies effect, uh, the the immunotherapy effect, have you felt okay? Like, are you kind of like, what's happening? I yeah. feel okay. Yeah. So I think that is the hard thing, and especially that I look okay is you another look, really hard. You thing. look so vibrant, like you're glowing. Yeah. People think cancer; they think bald. Yeah. That is the number one thing people think. And because I have all of my hair, people yeah. think that I'm completely fine. It's the thing I get all the time. But you look great. Yeah. It's like, but I'm really not great at all. Like, <laughs> um, do you want to see my top? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that, that is a hard thing to still like I haven't felt probably since mid-2020 healthy. Mm. I have felt like 
tired and yeah. fatigued and just drained because then even when I finished the immunotherapy, my cancer was draining me of all my iron to the right. point where they couldn't even detect a level of iron in my body, which was the oh first sign that, hang and on, that what the hell's so got? Yeah. Energy. They were like, how are you walking around? We can't yeah. even detect your iron levels. Wow. They're so low. And so I was like, that's weird. I've never had issues with my iron before, but because the cancer was in my bowel, it was just draining me of all my iron. Um, and so there's never really been a point since mid-2019 that I've felt energy or like every morning I wake up and I drag myself out of bed because I'm just like, ugh, I just feel tired all the time. And so whilst I don't feel well, mm. I also just feels normal now for me. So I don't feel like a sick, dying person. No. Yeah. Right. No, and that is it is hard mentally is, to like yeah. understand that like and for people being like, Oh, but you look so good and you, you seem fine. It's mm. like cool, but I'm, I'm not. not. <laughs> yeah. It's a really interesting that you point out because I didn't really think of that before, but you don't really like identify, like people don't look at you and see the sickness, which you kind of just want to scream at them, like I yeah. am really fucking sick right now. Yeah. Um, so that must be another just one of the very many challenges that you go through is like not identifying or not fitting the criteria of looking. Yeah, like exactly. Which like obviously is great. I don't want to look like a sick person, obviously, right. but also right, it right. does sometimes minimize yes. what I am going through because yeah. like she's fine. She looks great. You you do. Yeah. You look great. And I remember <laughs> I remember like having, you know, our first few meetings, I'd be like, you're just glowing. Your skin is just like, you know, it's just, yeah, it's really, um, it's interesting the fact that, that those two things can exist at the same time and yeah. something that we're learning, I suppose. So on the exterior courts, you are just such a go-getter. You are so switched on, determined, motivated. You've obviously adopted the skill of compartmentalising your emotions. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> like I've never seen before. Yeah. I don't know how you do it. And I'm, I imagine it's because you have to, but there's got to be a certain amount of, you know, going back to going to that Christmas soiree. Yes. You know, and just being in the, in the diagnosed and informed of such tragic information. How was it something that you got better at? Yet you've gotten better at, or is this something that you feel like you just had to, like you're like, well, yeah. this is it now. I don't really know because I, I had had really a privileged life growing up. Like I had a great family. I hadn't had any traumas in my past. Like I'd never been sick other than my uncle passing away. I haven't really had any deaths in my family. Like I had had a great upbringing. So mm. I'd never really had to test myself until this point. So right. I don't really know how to answer that because I've never been tested before to know if I got better at it or I just was it to begin with. I'm not right. too sure. Um, but I do know that I am, I've i always felt that this is something I've, I think I've only said once on my own podcast is that from a young age as like a teenager, I always felt that I was going to get sick with something life-threatening. Really? Yeah, always. And I don't know why. I've said it to friends before, but I always thought that I something was coming with my health specifically, wow. but that I would get through it, but it would be like a big part of my journey. That's I don't know why. That's really weird. Yeah. Um, and it's not something that I was, it's not like it was an anxiety or something no, I was no. stressed about. It was just a feeling that like I was like, knowing. yeah. And like yeah. I had these dreams about being sick and like just these things. I was like, that's really, I don't know. I, just, I kind of just 
It was yeah. just there. It wasn't yeah. anything for me. I was just like, oh, I don't know. Like, that's just a weird thought. Whether it's true or not, who knows? Mm-hmm. Just left it there. Um, but, yes, yeah, so I always had thought that it would be something that I was going to experience. So I kind of always had this feeling of, like, I'm going to be strong and get through it and that will just be part of my story. So I don't know if that's just continued to help me be like, I was expecting this yeah. and it's this knowing. I, I don't know. It's kind of weird. I don't that really know weird. how to <laughs> describe yeah. it. No. But yeah, experience. compartmentalizing is definitely a big part of it. And some days are easier than others. I have a business where my dad works here, my mum works here, my brother works here, my best friend of 20 years works here, all of my staff I'm very close with. So I am in a good and bad position when it's like when I feel emotion, I can express it here because I'm around so much support. Mm -hmm. Um, But then also it's like because I feel so able to and sometimes it's like, not now, don't feel it now. You know what I mean? So it's like I get telehealth calls. I had what I had a telehealth call week and a half ago where they gave me the results and I was sitting here at work and got the call at work and was like, your cancer is back. And it was like, I have to go back out there and everyone's waiting for the answer. You know, everyone knows I'm about to get this phone call and see all these faces, like what's happening. And, you know, it does make it hard. I compartmentalise to a point where it's like I can just get through what I need to and then I process it. I Mm -hmm. never compartmentalise to the point where I'm suppressing it Mm -hmm. down for longer than a couple of days. Like I just, you can't do that. I process my emotions straight away. I vent straight away. Mm -hmm. You know, my my staff know bloody everything about me because I'm like, what? Get it out. You know what I mean? Like it's just uh, Instagram. All my followers know everything about me because it's for me, it's about getting it out so that I can release it, start to process it and then move forward so I can function. I just, I have to. Yeah, you do have to, but you're also like one of the strongest people I know that requires a lot of strength. It probably, maybe that's why I'm tired all the time. (laughs) Mentally tired. Fair enough. I mean, yeah, it's 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 taking a mental muscle, right, to go, okay, yeah. right now I'm doing this. Right now I'm listening to Lucy and Nikki and we're talking about drunken antics and now we're talking about Rev's childhood adversity and now yeah. we're talking about my own trauma. And I think, you know, to go through that amount of emotions throughout a day, like that requires so much strength and resilience. So I just commend you for that. You've talked a lot about anger in receiving, um, which I think is great. Like I think... I feel like most people's reactions or like natural reflex is sadness. Okay. So I think, you know, because like we we bypass anger a lot. Yeah. Like typically. So really cool that you felt anger. Well, I kind of like anger because there's a power in it. Yeah. And it made me feel kind of like I was taking control back by allowing the anger to fuel my fire in other ways. Yeah. So I can't control what's happening to me, but maybe I can control what's going to happen to you, Revy, because yeah. now you're wearing sunscreen. Yeah. And so that gave me like a power to yeah. like fuel that passion. I love that. And then she was the fire with Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's really cool. So what other what are the other kind of maybe under discussed feelings that you think that people who are hearing your story probably don't realize that you're experiencing on a daily basis? Because I feel like grief would be a huge one for you in taking down your or acknowledging your age. Like you're 35 and you're having to sacrifice so much. Yeah, that's definitely like a hard thing. You know, I'm at the moment, they've just sold my apartment. So I'm having to rent another apartment. I don't have to be out till February, but this is the thought process I'm going to that other people don't have to. 
I can move out early if I want to because they want me out. The owner wants me to so they can move in sooner. So I'm getting this pressure to move early, which legally I don't have to. But I'm like, I don't want the stress, so I do want to move. But also I've just started taking a really toxic treatment that can take a turn at any point. Do I really want to put myself in a position where I'm moving house and adding that stress? Um, Not really. But then also if I wait till later in the year when I get my fourth dose of the toxic treatment, I couldn't even, I might not even be able to pack my own house up. Do I want that drama that I'm like asking my parents, my friends and family to help me pack my stuff? Nightmare. But also if I'm about to move, I live three minutes from my parents right now. Do I want to move away when I might need support urgently because I live alone and I might get a side effect and I need someone to come and help me straight away? That's not a reality of 35-year-olds. No. You know? It's like, does, is there a spot for a dog? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like I'm having to look at apartments with a spare bedroom because my mum has to stay with me when I get surgeries and have treatments. I need a carer's room. I'm 35. I have to have a go bag in case I have to go to the hospital because my organs are failing at any point. People have a go bag because they're going to go into labour, not because they're going to have their organs fail at Mm. 35. Mm. You know, these are all these things that it's like normal people don't have to think about. And the average person, I guess, wouldn't even think about that I'm having to deal with. The other big thing I think is that's like really unspoken about is the concept of death. And I find it hard talking about it openly because people have this idea that it's like she's given up, you know, or she's being negative. And it's like, well, this is a reality. The chances, just so the listeners know, the reality of this treatment working is only 30% what I'm on right now. The chances of it having my organs fail is much higher than the treatment actually working. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't work, we're in not a great position there. We'll have to cut things out. If we can't cut things out, I'm going to have to try and find a medical trial, which I'm not desirable for because I'm allergic to the treatments. So there's a lot there, which is not a great outcome. Mm. And so it's a reality of my life that I have to think about. This could not turn out great. Yeah. And I think we just had a podcast where we talked about toxic positivity and it's like you, that those people are not acknowledging your reality. Yeah. And they're like, just stay positive, Court. And yeah. you're like, well. It's like, look at the stats. Yeah. I've <laughs> got I need to prepare for the fact that that might not be the outcome that we all want. Obviously, that's what I want and that's what I'm working towards. I'm not, you know, going out and giving up here. Yeah. But I need to think about the fact that every decision I make now I might not have a chance to do other things later, so i got to do what I want to do now. I've mm. got to live my life how I want to do it now. Is that how I want to spend my time? No, because it might not last that long. You mm. know, it's like it's given me a, a real YOLO, yeah. like the true YOLO <laughs> effect, which yeah. is like a positive because it's like I'm living my life in a way that's like how I want to end it is I want to have had an impact on the world mm. and I want to have done the things that make me happy. And so I'm focusing on those. And a lot of people can be complacent with their life. So it's made me not complacent. And so that's good. But it's hard to have those conversations mm. with my friends and family because they don't want to hear that. Mm. You know, they don't want to hear that I'm thinking about it could end soon, you know. Yeah. So it's hard. Is there an aspect of fear and trauma that, you know, you you have to process each day? Um. I haven't, I don't know. I'm not like, I obviously don't want to die, but I'm not at the point where I think I'm quite there yet. So the fear of that hasn't kicked in more. My fear is around what side effects I'm going to get for the treatment. So I have a lot of fear around, um, that I live alone Mm -hmm. and at any point, like, you know, my organs could start to fail or like, you know, I could get violently ill and I have to get to the hospital. I have fear around the moments in which these things could go wrong. And it's like, ugh shit, what do I do here now? More fear around that. I'm not quite at the point yet where I'm like, we're there yet with the like, you know, I know that 
melanoma is not something tomorrow I'm going to drop dead. Mm. It's not like you're getting hit by a car. Mm. There's going to be, I saw with my uncle, it took him seven years before he died. And so I know that I'll get to a point where I then need to start to go, okay, now we're at that point. Yeah. I know it could be there, but at the minute I'm not super scared of it because it's like I'm not quite there yet. You're so rational. <laughs> You're so I, I'm very pragmatic. <laughs> you are. Like it's just, I mean, it's such a strength. Uh, so going back to understanding that the majority of people who come across people they care about that have cancer are in their later years of life and they've gone through romance, building a family if they want to, building a career, which you are doing simultaneously, which is amazing. But I wanted to talk about, I guess, the support that you can receive because I think people just don't know what to say. Like I said, in my personal experience, I was like, I don't know what to say. Why don't we start with the don'ts? Okay. What's something when you're sharing your experience and you're trying to normalise the conversation of your experience and normalise or or be open and vulnerable and have the courage to say like, you know, this is what I'm going through right now. What don't you want to hear? So just first acknowledge, obviously, it's my personal what I don't want to hear. And a lot of my friends have expressed similar things that are also going through, you know, very hard times. Um, But some people could want different things. What I generally want is uh, toxic positivity is one of the hardest things Mm -hmm. for me to kind of deal with, I think. Um, Having people trying to put silver linings on what I'm going through because it's the natural instinct for everyone to try and be hopeful and positive um, and there's no malice coming from it. Mm. And that's the hardest thing because you would need to communicate with someone like, I know you're not coming from a bad place, but when you tell me like, oh, well, at least it's not in other organs. You know, when I got it in my thigh, the first reaction from someone was, oh, at least it's not in your organs again. It's like, well, actually, it's it's worse now because it's in my thigh because it came back so quickly, Yeah, you know, and so now I have to get the bat. So it's like that minimising of, like, your emotions all the time. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, at least it's not this. It's like, yes. you'll be right. I have a feeling you'll be fine. It's like, yeah. okay, well, that does nothing for me. You know, it's like all of that stuff. Um, yeah. It's also like a lot of um, I don't like it to be ignored. So mm-hmm. if you had a baby mm-hmm. and that's a huge life experience, mm-hmm. And you rocked up here today and you had a baby last week and I didn't say anything to you about having a baby. How would that make you feel? Yeah. It's like that. I yeah. have this huge thing and people are scared to say anything to me, which I that understand. No, it's okay. And I, but for you, I'm like, it's business. I need yeah. to have my business face on. She doesn't need to talk to me about my cancer. I think but that's your what it was. I was like, I don't want to bring it up. Yeah. But my, and there are some people who want to not talk about it. Yeah. But like, if someone wants to say it to me, like, it needs to be acknowledged. Like, it's yeah. this huge thing in my life. How can yeah. we not talk about it? And if someone doesn't ever say anything to you and then you get a message six months later, it's like, well, where have you been? Right. You haven't said anything. You've just yeah. ignored it. I've had this huge life thing. Can you imagine if someone didn't say to you anything about your daughter for six months? Yeah. <laughs> You'd be like, what the hell? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's like so, that. It's such, it's your life. It's such a big part of your yeah. life and it's consuming you. And then you don't have the, you don't feel safe to bring it up when that other person isn't. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's like, it's a judgment call. I'm obviously on Instagram sharing very openly about my cancer. So it is clear that I'm quite open about sure. it. Someone who isn't talking about it at all and doesn't want to discuss it, that could be a very different thing. So it's obviously a judgment call. Mm-hmm. Whether, But for me, it does feel like it minimizes a bit when I just, it's all I'm thinking about and no one else is speaking about it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It does feel a bit like, 
hey guys, I'm here. Yeah. 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 I'm going through this right now. Yeah. I want to talk about it. Yeah. So if there's someone in your life that is going through that, just gauge it and just try and float the idea. Do they want to talk about it? If they shut you down, then that's, you know, lesson yeah. you've learned that. Yeah. If they don't and they want someone to just hear what they're saying and have space for it, mm-hmm. then be there for them. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's go on that and they say that they do want to talk about what are the things that you do want to hear from someone? Um, I think it's just like acknowledging this is shit and being like, oh my God, this is so shit. And the best thing that my friend said to me out of this whole process was she said to me, how can I support you? Mm-hmm. And she didn't assume what I needed. Mm-hmm. And that was great. And I actually in that moment went, I don't even know. Let me yeah. get back to you on that one. And yeah. I needed to think, how do I want to be supported? And that's been a big thing in this process. I needed to understand, how do I want to be communicated with? How do I want people to show up for me in my life? Mm. Because you can very quickly become resentful of the way people speak to you and the way they act around you because you're angry right. about something with your cancer and then it's coming out in other ways. Mm. And that was something I had to be very mindful of mm. because I didn't want to be acting out angry to my friends because I wasn't recognizing my own emotions. Yeah. So it's very big for me to understand what I need first, then communicate that so people understand because people are not mind readers and what I want and what you need could be totally different. So ask the people in your life, how do you want to be supported? How do you want me to show up for you? And even if that's a way that you don't agree with, You have to do what they need. Yeah. My mum doesn't like that I want to, like, talk about the facts of this. She wants right. to talk about the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. But that's not what I need. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's hard. Yeah. And I think that can change, right, respectfully. Yeah. One week you might want something and then the other week you're like, no, yeah. scrap that. I need this. Yeah, exactly. I need wine. Yeah. I mean, there are some days mum will walk up to me at work and I'll go, not now, not now, because I know she wants to be like, are you okay? And I'll be like, I'm holding this on by a yes. fine thread. I can't have you look at me sideways now, otherwise sure, I'm sure. off that cliff. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? So yes. it's like, I need, otherwise my emotions are gone then. Yeah. So, you know, every day is like a little bit different, but other days I need someone to say like, shit, what happened? Tell me, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Amazing. That's, I think that's a roller coaster so ride. Um, so, you asked me to ask you the tough questions and this is probably the toughest question because right. I feel like this is something that uh, I guess would be like a, a genuine question, a genuine curiosity for people. Yeah. Hit me. <laughs> Your dating life. Yes. Where, is that a priority to you right now? You're like, I just can't even. But like yeah. you would want that? I think for a normal 35-year-old, this would be a really hard thing because, mm-hmm. like, as I said, I'm looking at, like, maybe this doesn't go right, mm-hmm. the things you look back on your life and you, like, regrets and things. And one of those big things for a single person might be, like, I didn't have kids or get married, and that's yeah. a big missed thing that a lot of people want. I have never in my life had dream. I don't have a secret Pinterest board. I don't know what would happen at my wedding. I don't have names for children. I've never had that as anything I've looked towards, which thankfully, because otherwise that could make me quite upset. If I'm open to there being a man, if there's a man and he approaches me at a bar, I will speak to him. But I'm not lonely in any way. I'm not needing that in any way, which is a blessing. Um, But- Boss girl. Yes, but it's also that for you. It also is like some days. I'm not going to lie. I'm like, I'm really tired. It would be nice if there was a man here to cook my dinner and then clean my dishes. Or it would be nice. I don't have to have a room for a carer because I have a husband in the bed next to me. So there are logistical things that I'm like, this Mm. would be nice. It is also 
not every appointment I have to have my brother or my mum or my dad come with me. And there's also that support level where it's like you can be really open with your partner. I'm sure the things that you say to Clay, you wouldn't say necessarily to, you know, for example, if I really was like, I'm scared of death, I wouldn't to put that burden on my mum. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know? It's so a different relationship. There's like, you know, yeah. there are, you, you, I think with the other people in your life, you do kind of consider how what you're doing impacts their mental health as well. But with your partner, that's something you're very open with and you're not necessarily consider you just are who you are with yeah, them. And yeah. I don't have that. You're not protecting them yeah. as much. Yeah. And I don't have that person that I can, I try to like, you know, I try to be as much as I can with my friends. And I always say to them, like, if it's too much, you know, I have a friend who she was like, Ugh, it's like, this is triggering me because she's had family members who've had illnesses and stuff. And I was like, that's fine. You have to tell me when you have to tap out. Like, that's okay. Mm. But you have to tell me before you get to the point. So I know who's on my list of people who are there for me because I have to hone that list because I don't have a husband. And so in those moments, I am like, this would be a lot easier if there was a man there. But it's not because I'm like, lonely for romance. So it's a little bit different. So it's not I think for a lot of people it would be hard, but luckily that's not something that's been a big consideration for me. And to be honest, like the idea of dating and adding that drama of why isn't he called right now? <laughs> it's like so bottom of the list. <laughs> yeah. <I'm sorry. laughs> like, do I need that drama in my yeah. life? Probably not. When yeah. I'm feeling like shit, do I want to get all dolled up and go out and put the shoes on and the makeup? I don't know. You're so do I energy. need? Yeah. yeah. Like having sex right now with my energy load. Do I need that? No. Yeah. yeah. You know, so it's just not something that I'm really that concerned with. Yeah. Yeah, no, I can. I mean, again, so rational. Yeah. I, it's so I'm, funny because that was like, your your heavy hitter question, and that to me was just like absolutely nothing. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's a sensitive topic because typically, you know. Yeah, as I said, a lot of women, it would be yeah. the be all and end all, and it's just thankfully not for me. You're very emotionally level headed. <laughs> like I'm like I'm the opposite of you. With that. <laughs> I think the listeners would know that. Okay, so you receive a lot of questions. I mean, you open the floor to questions yep. on your Instagram. And obviously you get flooded with questions, but you had been receiving this one that was just going on and on and on. And it was to do with what about your eggs that you've frozen? What about kids? Like, it's like you didn't know. It's like, Courtney, you're 35. And like, you know. I know. Like, yeah, I bloody know. But also I loved your clap back and basically just drawing the line in the sand and like getting people to really self-reflect when they're asking that question. Can you talk about what that was bringing up for you and how you responded to the kid's question. And I mean, obviously I've been getting this since the beginning of the cancer diagnosis. Every woman knows that the minute you hit 30, that clock is ticking loud and clear. Mm -hmm. As I said, children is not something that I've ever really desired. Mm -hmm. It's not that I'm like, ugh, I don't want children, Mm -hmm. but it's also not something that I've ever felt either way about. So I guess when it's not anything that you, when you're neutral about something, you don't go out and seek it. I've been single for years. So I haven't even pictured myself with a husband and a family and a white picket fence. It's just not something I've ever like thought about. No, really. And like my kids are like, my friends like here, hold the baby. And I'm like, I'm so uncomfortable. (laughs) Go go back to mum. Yeah, exactly. And so it was like, so as well as this story, just to add to it, although I have my eggs frozen, the chances of me using them are literally minuscule. You cannot, you're not supposed to get pregnant within five years of having your all clear. Yeah. I'm not all clear. Yeah. So that you're puts me ongoing. at minimum of 40. Right. Um, also just because melanoma is one of the only cancers you can pass through the uterus to the baby. 
Wow. Um, it's it's a slim chance, but it's one okay. of the chances. Um, if I get pregnant right now, I can't get any of my treatment, so that would kill me. And also, if I get pregnant right now and I say I'm I don't have cancer tomorrow, the treatment works, but that means I can't get any of the PET scans for the next five years to surveil my cancer because they give you radiation to get my PET scans every three months. Oh my gosh. Which is another thing. If I get too many PET scans, that can also give me cancer. So as a young mm. person with cancer, they have to weigh up how important it is to find the melanoma without giving me radiation cancer. Wow. <laughs> so that's a whole other thing. When you're old, it's not a concern because you, yeah. you're going to, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. But that's another thing. So I can't have children within the next five years until yeah. I've had my all clear, which we're nowhere near at this point. Right. So the chances of me using those eggs is getting further and further away and the chances of becoming quite small. So it's something that I get asked a lot. It's not something I have ever said ever on any platform. I want children. Mm. I want to use these eggs. I have been open about the fact that I was mad that I had to go through the egg removal process. Yeah. And yet women want me to talk about this all the time when it's not something I've ever said I want. I'm in a fight for my life and what you want me to talk about is my future with kids. And making more lives when yeah. that puts your life in da- even more yeah, danger than exactly. it already is. And it's like I'm getting things like, don't worry, you've still got time. And it's like that is not even on the radar yeah. right now for me. Yeah. That is the least of the things I need to be thinking about. Mm. And so I, I put up this Insta story just saying, I need you guys to understand that we have to stop asking women this. Aside from the the fact that I'm not sure if I even want kids and that it's going to put my health at risk. There are women who deeply want children and it would be so triggering to be asked constantly, what are you doing about kids? Why aren't you pregnant? What are you doing with your eggs? I can't even comprehend why people think that it's okay to ask such a personal question. Yeah. You know, and it's like such a life-changing decision mm-hmm. that someone needs to make very personally and it can be so triggering for so many women. I went to a baby shower a few days after I found out that I can't use my eggs for five years mm-hmm. and that that means that I'm probably not going to have children. And there's a very different feeling of I'm making a choice and my choice is being taken away from me. So although I didn't know I wanted kids, I knew it was my choice. That now is probably not the case. Mm -hmm. And that is a different feeling. Mm -hmm. And that is not easy to have choices taken away from you when, you know, I feel like so much of my freedom and my choices are already being taken away. Um, I went to a baby shower and there were women sitting at that table that I didn't want to say, I can't have kids too, that I just said like, oh, I'm just not sure. And they said, no, they are your purpose in life. You'll feel different when you have your own. And it's like, so I'll just finish it now. There's no purpose wow. to my life. What's the point? <laughs> like, it's just so damaging. I can see how going to a baby shower, if you actually want children and you can't, how that would be a horrendous mm, situation. Yeah. Because it's just a bunch of women sitting around about how this impacted their life so positively. And it's the meaning of life. Yeah. It's just we have to be so careful with the way we yeah. speak about this. It's nobody's business. We need to release the judgment. It's somebody else's choice if they want to have kids. And some women shouldn't have kids when they do because they're not fit to be good mothers. Mm. You know, and that's that pressure society puts on women. I had women in my DMs being like, I regret having kids. Right. And they're like, but I did it because my family pressured me and I felt like that's what I was supposed to do it's, as a woman. It's just what we should do because yeah. we're women. Yeah. Reproduce. And that's, yeah. And that's a horrible feeling. I had women messaging me saying like, I was so triggered when someone said this to me, when this happened, you know, or like, you know, people pity me because I chose to live my life without kids and there's all this judgment from people and it's like I haven't achieved things in life because I don't have children. It's like mm. we need to just stop making yeah. women feel shitty about this situation because there's so much that goes into it. And if we don't want to have children or we do and we can't, whatever it is, it's everybody's personal choice. So just like leave it. Yeah. Don't ask. 
Love that. I think, you know, and I have so much respect for people that decide I'm not going to have children because I think like coming from someone that potentially shouldn't have had a child, like, and was on the other end of that with abuse and neglect, I'm like, wow, like you, uh, good on you because you're really breaking that society expectation. What's crazy to me though, is that the choice to not have children doesn't impact your life at all. Like you just continue with your life as is, but the choice to have children impacts your life in the biggest way possible. Yet that's the thing that we're not asking. Like if you said to me, I'm having like, why? That's a huge life choice. But it's the other way around. You mean, it's like, why aren't you making this huge life changing decision that's going to change your whole life forever? Do you know what I mean? It's like, it shouldn't be the other way around. No, that's such a great point. So yeah, Stop asking women. Yeah, if exactly. You kids. don't know what someone else is experiencing or why they've made that choice or if they've had to make that choice or it's taken away from them. It's just too triggering. Just mind your own business. <laughs> Love that. So I think it's amazing that you're turning your turmoil and I think it's this even more like respect and, and just I guess I'm in awe a little because so many people share their hardship when they're on the other side, Yeah, myself included. You know, I, I do share some of the things that I am going through currently, but it's, there's always like that Aussie battler that's like, oh, this is what I've come from. Whereas you're sharing it in real time. Sometimes you upload an IGTV and it's minutes after you've jumped off the phone to a diagnosis that's really not good. Yeah. So I want to say thank you again for sharing things like that. And, um, I guess what is the main takeaway and message that you have for someone that is listening to this podcast right now? I think I would have two. One is protect the skin you're in. Mm -hmm. Go get skin checks because it can happen to anyone, even if you have, you know, like Bob Marley died of melanoma. I did not know that. Yes. So it's (laughs) the producers are sitting here all shocked. Yes. So it's not just fair people with red hair. Yes. And it's not just the sun. It can be genetics as well. So Mm -hmm. it's important that you go and get checked because moles can go funny and also SPF every single day. It's not just about when you're at the beach with a cocktail by the pool, whatever, and you're getting that direct sunlight. It's all the incidental stuff that still adds up. A tan doesn't mean your skin is healthy. That's what society has taught us. Like you Mm. look so healthy and that glow. It actually is your cells in trauma. Yeah. And so it's actually that. Yeah. (laughs) So I think that it's really important to recognize that. Also, SPF helps with the wrinkles, ladies. I know. I'm like, if you, if you don't care about your life, (laughs) but your vein, go for it. Exactly. (laughs) Um, And I think the other thing is like, not to be complacent with your life. Because as I said, I'm really in that YOLO phase, but like I don't want everyone to have to go through what I've gone through to appreciate their life mm-hmm. and to live the life that they want and not live a life full of fear of judgment from other people and not doing what they want for their life. So that's the other thing I want people to take away from it. I think they will. I think they do every day. They, you know, are on your Instagram. It's super inspirational. And I'm just so, yeah, again, super grateful because I don't think I've ever really come across someone who's sharing so rawly and with so much strength, like everyone I've spoken to you about, about you has been just like, she's so strong. Like how, how does she get up and, and show up like that? And I'm like, yeah, it's amazing. So. Oh, thanks. Rev. <laughs> thank you for being amazing. Last question. All right, what do we got? <laughs> you know the question. You would know. Oh, the producer, I should know this one, right? <laughs> so through the toughest part of your life, which right now, right now. <laughs> Don't even know the answer yet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what are you, I guess, what are you, what surprises yourself about you? 
Um, I think that maybe the biggest lesson that I've learned that I didn't ever think I would get to was because I am a reformed micromanager, like mm-hmm. crazy. I was doing all the things. Nobody could move in this building without me knowing what they were doing. You right. know what I mean? It was like nobody also felt comfortable to make decisions because they yeah. felt like, oh, Courtney will know. Courtney will know. Yeah. And so it got to a point in the, when I got the diagnosis that I was like, oh, my God, if I die, Sam is going to be left with a shit show of a business because I oversee the staff and no one knows how to do anything because right. I control everything. Right. Um, and so we went through this phase with the staff at the start of 2020 where I was like, we need to start over and I need to loosen the reins and allow you to be comfortable to make these decisions. There was a lot of teething issues, but we got through it. And thank God we did just before COVID because then everyone went home and I, I couldn't be there for everyone anyway because yeah. everyone was in their homes. Um, but now we're at a point where it's like I need to understand like do I need to take this on or should I let somebody else do it? And that was like a really hard thing for me because I am very independent and something I'm still learning even with my life. You know, my mom, my mom is like every night, do you want me to come over and cookie dinner? Do you want me to come over and cookie dinner? And I'm like, no, 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 no. I can do it on my own. I'm an independent woman. But there's going to come a day where I'm going to go like, Courtney, do you really need to make the dinner or do you need to rest? Get your mum to make the wow. dinner. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that I need to loosen the reins. That mm-hmm. was something that I have learned about myself, that accepting help and support is not a weakness. No, not at all. It takes an enormous amount of strength. I'm still learning it, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying. At work, I've learned it. It's <laughs> no, amazing. Great takeaway. So thank you so much, Courtney, for being on the episode and sharing everything you do. Thanks for having me, Rev. <laughs> Um, if you wanted to check out Courtney's Instagram, she can be found at, at Courtney Mangan. It'll be linked in the show notes below. I want to say thank you for listening to this episode. I really hope that if you are someone that has someone in your life that is fighting cancer, uh, no matter the age, you've learned something today and you're better able to support that person that you love through a really difficult time and a, a time that, yeah, so, some people just like myself aren't equipped to um, – guide and and support that person through so yeah I learned a lot and I hope you did too if you enjoyed the episode please hit the follow button on Spotify or subscribe if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and if you are enjoying the episodes please leave a review on Apple Podcasts it's time for the affirmation of the week and I wanted to uh, ask Courtney about this because I know that she would lean on mantras and affirmations so she has given us the gift of the mantras she uses to get herself through the pet scans. Pet scans. Okay. So this is something that she gets into a zone. She takes a deep breath in and repeats as a mantra. My mind and body are healthy and happy. Again, that is my mind and body are healthy and happy. Repeat that to yourself and uh, let it give you the comfort that you deserve. I love you and I hope you have a wonderful week. Bye.